This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Expose yourself. Show them what you're all about. Hey, 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 everybody, and welcome to Exposed Dragged Out. It's the podcast where I, Joseph Shepard, may talk to some individuals from some RuPaul's Drag Race franchises. Now, I just want to say thank you all so much for listening to the pod, for supporting. Um, if you haven't done so, go and give me a five-star rating or give like a review. Um, love reading those. Love all of you guys being such a big part of this podcast and my show. I love when I ask you guys for questions. I love finding out things I never knew about these contestants from, you know, chatting with you all. But we are going to be doing some new things starting on this podcast. So every Thursday will be a new episode of the podcast as normal. And on Tuesdays, we are going to go into this exposed vault. We are starting from the very first. So every Tuesday, you'll have an explo- exposed, wow, explosive exposed. There you go. I'll just say that. Um, you'll have an exposed episode, a classic exposed, a throwback exposed. And we are basically going to be kind of going in the order of how everything started. So there's a lot of interviews that many of you probably have never heard of, you've never seen. And we're just going to be going one by one on Tuesdays. I'm very excited for this interview today. It is with Willem Belli from season four of RuPaul's Drag Race, you know, disqualification and all of that. Little known fact about this interview, it was a very whim decision. I did not think that this was going to blow up in any capacity, but I had just been friends with Willem and I heard him just talk so much about the behind the scenes parts of RuPaul's Drag Race and talked about like what he wished would have been showed on camera. And I started learning more about his life. And I was like, I want people to know that. Like, I want people to hear the story straight from his mouth, not in tweets, not in passing, not in, you know, a interview where one or two words comes out. I just wanted to be able to get the full Willem story. And um, I didn't think it was going to take off. It did. And I'm so excited to present this to you. We filmed this in Willem's um, studio upstairs around all of Willem's clothes. Um, It was a whole lot of fun. Willem is a hoot to be around and to be with. He also always would do bingo at Hamburger Mary's, which was the absolute best thing ever. I loved bingo at Hamburger Mary's. Where is it? I miss it. Uh, Anyway, here's the episode with Willem. It is fully unedited. Um, I mean, there's edits to make it prettier, but none of the content's cut out. So enjoy it. I love you all. And until next time. 
From Nip Tuck to Drag Race, Girl Groups, a book, and a starring role in A Star is Born, I'm sitting here with the phenomenally talented Willem. Thank how are you. You, doing? you forgot Humble. Humble? Um, I'm getting yeah. mad Humble in there? But I don't know if you could say a starring role in A Star is Born, a featured role, maybe. I mean... I'm number 17 on the cast list. I mean, you should have been, like, up a little bit more, because, I, I mean, you got the most laughs. You you were the comedic relief of a sad movie, so I believe that that should... That, I, that's a starring role. I did okay. After uh, the first time I saw it, um, I was like, I got some chuckles. And Gaga was like, chuckles? <laughs> chuckles? Oh, no, honey. And, like, she she just, like, gave me props for a second, so that was really, really nice. Must feel good. Um, I know that a lot of times, especially, you're known as being outspoken, you're known as speaking your mind. Mm -hmm. Has that always been a thing with you? Like, have you always been the type of person who always speaks their mind and is always truthful? Um, usually it's my truth. Is it always the truth? I don't know. Uh, it depends on who you are, but uh, I've always, my report cards used to say I have an attitude problem. For sure. I'm trying to uh, do the whole, like, you have two ears, one mouth, so you should use your ears more than your mouth mm -hmm. thing. But you can't fuck an ear hole. <laughs> so. That's true. Yeah. So when did you end up getting started in the drag? Like, what led you to want to put on a wig, put on the makeup? What was it? I used to draw dresses and, like, buildings when I was young. Uh, so I didn't know architecture or designer. But I would draw dresses and people would be like, oh, you're going to be a fashion designer? I said, no, 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 these are for me. No, how dare you? Um, and then after that, I started doing, like, costume design and theater. And then when I was 13, there was, like, some closing night party. And they put me up in drag for something. And I remember I wore red corduroys and, like, this little nighty and like bad wig black hair terrible and then after that i started going to rocky horror my dad would take me there and rocky horror was the first time i like passed because i was like a chubby little teenager and everyone was like oh she her i was like ah oh, they think i'm a woman um so i love that and then when i was 16 i first got paid for drag for the first time so that's so then the after after 16 it just became a thing <laughs> so you start doing film and television 1999 that was 1999 was the first time you did drag? No, that was when I was 16. First time I got paid for drag was 1999. Okay. And then how far after that did you start getting into television and film and acting? 1999. No. <laughs> I, got my, I got my side card in 1999. Okay, well. Wow. It was my first job, and that's the first time I was paid for drag. So, yeah. So, you got a phone call, you got Nip Tuck? That was a, that was a couple phone calls, Nip Tuck. I had auditioned for two or three other parts. I auditioned for Famke Jensen's son who eventually killed himself on it. I auditioned for some video clerk named Nightmare in a blockbuster, and Ryan told me I almost got that. I was, he said I was this close. And then I went and did extra work on it as like a featured extra in the background of some scene. I remember Ryan came over and he was like, what are you reading? Because I was just reading on set, and it was Janice Dickinson's book on plastic surgery. And um, I'm like, thanks for letting me be here. He's like, yeah, no problem. And then that was the last episode of season two. The second episode of season three, which was like hiatus break, whatever. After that, there was a really great role, and Ulrich Dawson Kritzer um, wouldn't see me because they said I was too old. I was 22. I was 22 at the time, and um, they uh, they just wouldn't see me. So I went down there with my headshot, and I was like, "Hey!" And I knew the person at the counter. I was like, "Hey!" I'm like, "Hey, what's up?" And I was like, um, "I can't get an appointment for this role of this young." Um, this young character and I'm fine for it and they literally went blah 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 and then someone poked their head around the corner and they're like yeah and that's how I got my appointment for Nip Tuck because I wouldn't take no for an answer Damn. and then I did the scene 
And then I got a callback. And then I did the callback and they booked it the day before my 23rd birthday. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And I booked Rock of Ages the same day, June 29th. It was a good day. That That's like, I, I love that you have the determination. You just like go after everything you want. I think that that's a big thing and a big staple in your life too. Well, I mean, because if you don't, what's the worst I could say is no. Like exactly. otherwise it's just like, oh, I tried, but I don't know. And they made, they said I was too old, but I'm not. And then you're just telling the same boring story. It's a better story if you say, I went and I tried. They said no. They kicked me out of the building. Or, I got the part. Exactly. Hello. Yeah. So it's like one or the other. You gotta try it. True. So year's 2011. Drag Race is coming around. Oh, yeah. How did that end up happening? Well, they asked me to audition for season one. I was good friends with um, a writer for uh, Rue. He wrote a lot of RuPaul's Red Hot album. His name's Tom Trujillo. He's a really great writer. They're like, we want you to make a tape. And I'm like, I'm in LA. You guys know me. I did show dogs and moms and dads for for uh, World of Wonder before that. Uh, like a singing thing where they couldn't get the right to Rue's supermodel, so they had me do it. I was like, okay, cool. 50 bucks, four hours. Uh, anyway, uh, so I, they asked me to make a tape, and I said, no, I'll just come in and meet with you. They're like, no, we need a tape. And I'm like, I'm not making a tape. I'm an actor. I don't, this reality show, blah, blah, blah. Cut to season three. Between season three and season four, I I did a movie called something. <laughs> it, was, it was like James Gandolfini, Diane Lane, Cinema Verite. Because Cinema Verite is like the truth or what, I don't fucking know. Um, anyway, so uh, I was in that with this casting director who had great scenes in drag with like Gandolfini and Diane Lane and Thomas Decker. It was a great part. Detox was in it too. I got her a little side gig in it. Same casting director, three months later, was casting a Don Johnson pilot set in a hair salon. It was very like Warren Beatty shampoo. And there were three little like fag assistants. Like one was white, one was Latin, one was black. Um, and the casting director wouldn't see me for it. And my agent told me, and I was like, well, I'm not gonna barge in there. She knows me, like, um, but can you get some answer why? And she said, yeah, you're not on the network list. And I said, what does that mean? She means you're not on the list of approved names that she can bother seeing because the network wants to see names and you're not a name. And I was like, oh, wow. She knows I'm a good actor. She just mm -hmm. cast me in something three months ago. But um, adding insult to injury, not only would they not see me, but um, Chris Crocker got the part of the white fag. And I was like, I've been working in this town for 10 years and you're gonna give it to someone who's screaming on the internet? God bless them, I'm friends with them now and stuff, but like I was, I felt some kind of way. Yeah. And it was really hard for me to find a place to put those feelings when I was like, what am I doing wrong? I'm doing everything right and I'm not a name. Shangela got the uh, one of the other parts and she was a name. Mm -hmm. And then like a week or two later, casting producer and director named Chanel Perillo uh, called my manager and requested a tape for Drag Race. And we talked about it and we're like, it might be a good idea if you wanna keep acting to get your name out there a little more. And then I went on Drag Race and it's kinda like I had to go in what I looked at as a downward uh, trajectory to a reality show mm -hmm. to get so back up. up. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you had to have some type of name for people to be able to see you and that's yeah. what you were viewing at that time. Do you, did you like your experience on Drag Race? I had, I had a lot of fun on Drag Race because there were no stakes for me. I wasn't trying to win and I was just trying to go and fuck shit up and make a name for myself and get screen time. And Correct. I did that. I checked off that box. So 
it, you get disqualified. It becomes the talking round of everywhere. Like, I literally think you being disqualified gave you a bigger name for yourself than if you would have won the season. Yeah. Um, and then you're on the reunion, and there's the conjugal visit type thing of what did Willem do. Mm -hmm. That conjugal thing was made up. So what was what did Willem do? Here's the thing. They knew everything that I did because as I was breaking the rules, I was telling them, trying to get kicked off. The second episode, when they said all this before, and it just sounds like rehash, but like the quick rundown. We gave them money to get us stuff at, a st at stores. They didn't. They weren't feeding us right. They were giving us like literally... Six seven seventy five dollars for twelve people to eat. That makes like six seventy five per person or something. At like ten thirty at night, they didn't know our names. They called Latrice La something, this white devil bitch. So I was like, bitch, they're racist. And once I told Latrice and got Chad going, we stood up for ourselves and we were like, you need to know our names. And then I was like, Heather, what's her name? And she's like, I don't, I don't know. And I, oh, oh. And I started barking at her for no reason and I didn't know why, but I scared her and she backed out of the room and I felt so proud. I was like, you will not make money off us drag queens being gay men yourselves and fag hags and not know our fucking names. You won't, especially since oh, hanging around your neck, you have one side that has our boy pictures in her name and one side that has our girl pictures in her name. You do not call Latrice La something. Yeah. So I had it with them at that point. But um, so I broke those rules with going to the store and getting stuff, but I brought other girls so they couldn't kick us all off. Um, I stole, what else did I do? I got everybody high and drunk all the time. Um, I tried to take feather fans. I tried to take RuPaul's Iron Fist shoes that were there. Um, and then after that, I broke the biggest reality rule there is on the last day of production. They were, so between when I was kicked off and the last day of production, I went to New York and did a show for a week and a half mm -hmm. in the Fringe Festival. I thought it was going to transfer to Broadway. That's why I was like, I'm going to leave Drag Race to, you know, go do this show, get on Broadway, blah, blah, blah. It didn't transfer. It won the audience award. It was Jersey Shore's a goal. Two of the girls from Glow are on it. Danny Francesi wrote it, Hannah Lopatin. Um, it's a great show. Um, but when I got back, I was like, all right, well, show's wrapping. Everybody's going out tonight to Mickey's because I knew a couple of people. So I went out and they had like bleachers set up at Mickey's. They knew there would be so many people. And me and this one producer were sitting there and um, he was the producer Untucked. Mm -hmm. And there was another producer of Untucked too named um, Jen, who I really enjoyed, who they were doing something during the second episode of Untucked, which I didn't approve of. It was like emotional manipulation of Jiggly on the day her mom died, the first anniversary. I wasn't there for it. I spoke up and they said, well, if you don't like it, you can leave. So I left. And then they only had that half hour to make Untucked where they were deliberating and doing, you know, the judging mm -hmm. and figuring out who they were going to put in the bottom and stuff. So after I left and went outside, they, well, Jen, the producer, comes running back. She's like, we need you back in. We need you. Like, we, you, we're sorry. We're sorry. And I was like, I don't need you to be sorry. I need Stephen Korff to be sorry. Who was the one that told me I could get out? Um, so I made him step out of production and apologize to me. And then I went back in the room. I said, you don't get to treat me like that at all. And the last night at that club where we, um, where there was a little rap party, he was the one I was making out with. So we go in the bathroom, he fucks me, which was amazing, huge stick, um, <laughs> really fun. We get pulled out of the bathroom because they obviously see two feet. And then um, he, as we're being pulled out of the club too by the security, he picks up a cup and he throws it at who? Raven on stage at Mickey's. She says those two out as we are already being kicked out. 
So we're outside of Mickey's, and at that point, more people from Drag Race, more staff members, Chris McKim, the showrunner of the actual show, who's Steven's best friend, too. He's, um, he, they're all trying to, like, you know, get us away from each other, because we're outside, and we're making out, and still fucking around. And, um... At that point, I was like, we need to go back in. We're getting shots. It's birthday shots. I said it wasn't my birthday. And at this point, it's August. And I'm like, it's not even my birthday. I'm a cancer. And Chris McKim looks me dead in the eye and says, you are a cancer. I was like, ah, she reads. <laughs> That's how you got this drag race job. She reads. So she read me down filth into the dirt. About a week later, a week or a couple weeks, the producer I fucked ended up calling me and he's like, let's go to lunch, blah, blah, blah. Like, sure, let's, whatever. He said that like, he was trying to like get me back in with WOW and all that. And like, I just, I don't really like the way, my only regret from it is I should have made him more a rubber. So you were being a little bad bitch. You were doing bad things on Drag Race. Yeah. So what do you what do you think the real reason? Oh, why the conjugal. Oh, oh, yeah. So the conjugal reason after that's what they came up with to like make sure everybody you know looks good. I wasn't trying to make them look bad. So I was like, I'll go with the story X Y Z. I knew that All Stars was coming. I wanted to play along to get on that. And the conjugal was just easy because once I did tell them, look, I, I had a computer and um, you know because I was running my little Google Boy business while yeah. I was still there. Um, cause everybody, everybody gotta have a side hustle. I yeah. wasn't gonna give that up to, you know, go play Fruit Loop on a TV show. <laughs> so the conjugal was the story that we all decided to go, to go with. with. Yeah. And it was easy and it was true. Yeah. So after Drag Race, you end up releasing a song called Rupologize. Mm -hmm. And in Rupologize, you say, when All Star comes around, you say, you tell me you need it, even though I bought the gowns, bitch, wait. So my question to you is, were you actually called for All-Stars? Yes. I was booked for All-Stars. And um, I was trying on a gown at Siren on Sunset, or it was either Siren or, or um, Paper Bag Princess. One of, one of the two places. I went to both stores. It was the second one. I don't remember which was first. But I was in the dressing room. It was latex. It was Siren. I was zipping it up and powder all over, because you have to put powder on to get latex on. And Susan Haber, my manager, calls me and she says, um, they're canceling you for All-Stars. And this was Friday. I was supposed to report on Sunday for All-Stars. In June, I had canceled all these Pride gigs the season I was on. So there were plenty of gigs. I canceled thousands of dollars worth of work. Probably like at least 25, you know, to clear three, four weeks. It was a lot of money. And I was like, oh, wow. So for the next three weeks, I sit with my thumb in my ass and do nothing. I was like, this is like a loss of income. I signed my contract. I signed everything. They canceled me because the quote was, we don't see you having stakes or stories with any of the girls. And you know why, I think, um, because a month before I had just done Drag You. Mm -hmm. And I had done Drag You because one girl didn't pass her background check because they had found stuff by then. That girl that didn't pass her background check was also the one I probably would have had the most stakes with, from what everybody said, Fifi. So once it was found out she couldn't do Drag You, All Stars was after Drag You, so she definitely couldn't do that one. So they canceled me. Hmm. And they brought on Mimi, who's actually a brilliant joke writer. Do you feel that them canceling you on All Stars is what led to the kind of like the downfall of the of you being more outspoken about Drag Race and the whole, the backlash that you now have with them? No, because during my season, I did an interview with a magazine called The Dirty. Mm -hmm. And um, they, I remember getting off a plane and my manager having messages from her, like, call me now, call me now. 
apparently I said a little too much, so I was always saying a little too mm -hmm. much, but in my head, it's like, well, it's the truth. Yeah. And I was talking about unsafe work conditions on set with like a wire. And for my podcast, we literally found a, a thing of me and two other girls walking in heels for one of the mini challenges, which I won, with a wire untaped on the floor. Like, you know, yeah. just safety issues on a non-union show, you know? Do you think that you being outspoken and speaking out about Drag Race has led other queens like Pearl and Gia and those type of people are speaking up now? No, I think... Um, and they're doing it on their own? Yeah, I think people are... are um, they have their own brains and they can make their own decisions. And um, I know that season five and season six, my friends who were on that, they were, quote, told, don't pull a willem. Which meant, play by the rules, you know, X, Y, Z, which I think is great. But is because, great. I mean, history doesn't get made by people who follow the rules and do what they're supposed right. to, I don't think. Not that I'm history, but... Whatever. Current well, I mean, events. you made great history, which now leads to current events. Yeah. So, the feud with Rue, did that come from the All-Stars and the disqualification drama? No. She doesn't give a fuck about me. And I honestly don't give a fuck about her. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't care. She doesn't know some of our names, you yeah. know? I mean, there's videos of DragCon of her not knowing people's names, so... The, literally, at, at the reunion for... Season seven or eight, whichever one Layla was on, she calls her Lila three times. And then it's earpiece, earpiece, earpiece. Okay, we're gonna go back. And then she says Layla's introduction correctly. And she doesn't look at Layla, who's like feet away from her and saying, Girl, sorry, you know, I met you once and you were on two episodes and you got kicked off. Make a joke of it. She doesn't even say that. It's like, are you you're a drag queen, and that's another queen that you just fucking insulted in front of a room full of people by not even knowing her name. And you can't be like, girl, sorry. Yeah. You know? Or make, yeah. You know what? Gratitude is not conditional, so I have nothing bad to say about the, the person. But um, there's so many better things to, uh, to wonder about than what makes her tick. Yeah. I think. You know? That's true. And I mean, you've made a name with, of yourself without her. And that's... No. I... I I, I would not be in the position I am literally across the street from the production company that makes Drag Race without RuPaul's Drag Race. So I haven't made a name without her. I went on her show to become a name. And it and kind of happened. And you've taken that, but then you've become your own self after that. Sure. Well, I was always me, but she, her show helped me become the name. More, yeah. I guess. So the girls are still saying my name wrong when they introduced me to be shady at shows. They're saying, William, give it up. I'm like, really? You don't know my name? <laughs> <laughs> they try it. Try your shit to try, baby. They know. They, know. They, they know. know. There's no way they don't know. It happened in South America once two years ago, and, um, and that was a language thing, I think. But whatever. What do you think the biggest misconception of Willem is? <sighs> um, that I have, like, hundreds of wigs. <laughs> I don't. I only have like 78. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I I try to stay off of Reddit now because it wasn't doing good stuff for my self-esteem. So I don't really know what the biggest um, people are. Afraid. A lot of times I get feedback like, I thought you were going to be a bitch or wow, you're so much bigger in person. So just like the normal like bigger, fatter. Fatter really? and taller. People think I'm really tiny because on Drag Race I was like 140 pounds and like this skinny like blonde twink and now I'm like a normal sized person. I'm like 160, 155. <laughs> 
I don't think I would ever like to see somebody in public and be like, oh, you look a lot thicker. Oh, the meet and greets all the time. Uh, the things that people say out of the mouths of babes, literally like, oh my God, I thought you were gonna be so much smaller and tiny. No, bitch, I'm a man in a wig, and you just paid $20 to meet me and take a picture. Concentrate. <laughs> Stop talking. Like, I mean, honestly, I love meet and greets, but sometimes it's just like, me and Alaska will turn to each other and be like, did they just say that? They think that that was okay to say to me. Like, why? It's great. I don't, I love it. You know, the one person out of the room of 99. So, okay, Gaga quote. God bless. God uh, is Gaga. So, speaking of Alaska, before Alaska and before Courtney, you were in another group, DWB. Mm -hmm. And before that, that was out of Trans K, and Trans K was out of Club Makeup, which, like, you know, iterations of iterations of yeah. bands. So, DWB is with Vicky Box mm -hmm. and Detox. Yeah. And I remember I was working in a gay bar in Atlanta. Which one? And I was at Joe's and Juniper. Do you know where that is? No, I know Blake's. I know it's literally around the corner from Blake's. Got yeah. it. So I was working there, and I remember they put on all the screens when Boys at Bottom came out, and yeah. it was on all the screens. And I was like, "What is this provocative song?" And I, I was wrote like, it. getting it. And I was like, "Yeah." So you're like, "Someone you, wrote a song about me." Like, but I, I feel in my head, this Your is verse. me in my head. Uh, yeah, correct. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I feel in my head that that song and gay culture became more popular than the actual song, Girl on Fire. Like, I, I, I can't hear that song and not hear this boy's bottom. Like, I, I don't hear Alicia Keys anymore. I, you ended Alicia Keys' career. Like, it's gone. No. Yes, it is. It uh, is. I'm just glad I didn't get sued. That song has 12 writers, and they could have taken me down very easily, but it yeah. seems like somebody had a soft spot. Because I, yeah. Usually when I parody stuff, the artist finds out about it somehow, because everybody knows artists are surrounded by gays, mm -hmm. stylists, hair, makeup, so they know. Um, and I've gotten good feedback from a lot of my parodies. One, I didn't, and then Boys of Autumn, I didn't hear anything, but like, um, I, I talked to someone who worked with Alicia once, and they're like, girl. I'm like, work, <laughs> she didn't mind it, so I was happy. That's good, and you did like Boys of Bottom, you did Silicone, there was like different, more songs that end up coming from that, um, from your group. Chow Down. Chow Down to Chick-fil-A. Oh my That was God. like a political rallying cry, because we were just really like, was. all this bullshit. And um, I hadn't had Chick-fil-A before, and Detox and Vicky introduced me to it. And I was like, ooh, this chicken's so good. So they said, what's the flavor with? I said, hate. <laughs> <laughs> but did you expect those songs to like take off the way that they did, especially in gay culture? Um, Chow Down, the video looked sickening. Yes. Michael Serrato did it. Um, and I thought that that video might help propel the song. I also was the first person to use my my time on the show. I timed it, the exit, to have a big internet PR rush. That's good. And so I did that. And then um, when Detox was on the show, Boys Bottom, same thing, same time kind of thing, I was... I wouldn't say I was an evil genius, but I was masterminding it a little bit. Um, and Detox and Vicky thought I was evil sometimes. Um, <laughs> but it's fine. We're fine now. Detox just texted me um, like last week, and she's like, you know, we missed a great opportunity. We should have done Kill Bill merch when, uh, <laughs> when we were mad at each other because they called me Aunt Bill. Um, but I think that Boys of Autumn, I didn't know what it would become. But it, my husband, as soon as I sang it to him, because it was about a bad three-way, 
that happened three different times with my husband and I <laughs> and one of his basketball teammates where first time didn't get fucked second time didn't get fucked third time I was like I don't know about this and the guy's like no I'm gonna get up in that ass blah 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 I was like oh okay cool and then cut to 10 minutes later my phone rings I answer it go downstairs come back up this kid's getting nailed to the headboard and I was like I am not getting topped tonight by anybody <laughs> so I do the international sign to get the fuck out of my house which is start vacuuming put my iPod in Alicia Keys come on start singing I was like this this boy's bottom um, and I sang it to my husband after and um, he's like that's a hit and I was like no it's not it's stupid I repeat the same thing constantly bottom 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 he's like it's a hit I was like alright so I had to it took over two weeks to get Dee and Vicky into the studio. Vicky was fine, Detox was busy, it was her season. Vicky literally put her in an Uber, and then when we got to our, when they got to the studio, I knew that they were pulling up, because Detox, Vicky got out of the car, and then I was like, where's Dee? She was sleeping in the back seat, she opens up the side door, takes her legs, pulls them, pulls her onto the ground, and into the studio. <laughs> Detox then proceeds to sleep on Markaholic's couch. Markaholic was our producer and my producer for a lot of stuff. He uh, also produces for Rue now. Did uh, Hey Kitty Girl, wrote that. Um, Rue like looks and sees what everybody's doing. So, huh, okay, <laughs> yeah. Oh, who does your hair? Okay, come here, Delta. Um, <laughs> so like stuff like that. Uh, she, Detox went to sleep on Mark's couch and then she went in, did her rap, one take, and then said, wait, I can do it better. And then did the second take, the first take is what we used though. Like she literally did one take, then she went back to bed. And then Vicky and I did the harmonies and then she did like one middle harmony. <laughs> but like, it was one of those things where I, I was like, come on, let's get this out, let's get this out. And we did and I'm glad because after that, we were the first drag act in a lot of countries from RuPaul's Drag Race. Like I could, I've been to I think, almost 40 countries and 20 of them, we were at least the first queens in because of this That's song. Awesome. Literally, people were doing Facebook polls like, hey, get this to 10,000 likes and we'll bring these girls here. We were in Belgium the next week. And then Dubai. And then like, just like, all over the world. It was so fun. It's crazy. What led to the downfall of the girl group? Um, we, honestly, I had a lot of things that I wasn't handling well in my life. Um, we didn't, we were drag queens. We were like, what wig do you want to wear? What, what outfit you wearing? Blah, 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 blah. We, and we didn't get stuff on paper like we should have. Bands, you know, there's not always an equal split. Mm -hmm. um, Vicky wasn't being paid the same as me. Dee wasn't being paid the same as me. I was writing everything. I thought I earned it. People felt differently about that. All three of us felt differently, obviously. Um, and then when tax time came, I had been paying out everybody, you know, cash, checks, whatever through when our music would sell, we, we split it three ways because I was like, we're sisters, it's what we're doing. Taxes are 36 to 42% of your income, right? So my 33.3% share didn't even cover the taxes on the money that we made from all of our music. Wow. I got out of DWV in a tax hall. And it's not like I could ask them to pay, them, pay me back, I'm the one that paid them. Mm -hmm. It was my own stupid fault. I was the Matthew Knowles of the group. I was the one organizing stuff. I was the one writing a lot of stuff. I was the one with the car, you know? I was the older, older sister doing yeah. you know? And I took all that on myself. I, they didn't ask me for it. And they would always say, you're trying to do too much. And I was, and I still am. Um, I love them. They're my family, they're my sisters. There's always period where you don't talk to your family, you know? Mm -hmm. So we had that and it was hard. Um, that's what led to the downfall, basically. It was all of us feeling some kind of way and that didn't, conducively make a good group anymore. 
Yeah. Um, on stage, you wouldn't be able to tell though, because we had something like 58 gigs after I decided to stop saying no to the gigs with DWB, and my manager told me, you're not gonna work, nobody wants you. And I was like, oh wow, well, we'll see. And I remember one of the gigs was a cruise ship where Vicky and I were being paid, but Detox wasn't. So that tells you a little bit about the manager I was dealing with. And he was on the boat with us and Detox laid into him. And I remember it was the cruise ship thing where like you had to pay, you had to get customers to come and sign up under your name. Then you got paid if you had more than 50 people. I'm like, I'm not playing that little matchstick girl <laughs> on a canoe game trying to get people to sign up for me. I was like, you're gonna give me three grand if you want me on your boat to do all your little events and all your things. So they gave me three grand. And then I was like, well, Vicky's not doing it for free either. So Vicky got a grand negotiated through that manager. We're backstage, literally talking, Detox Vicky and I before we go on. And it, Detox realizes she's not being paid and we are. Because something came up. She was livid. And you know, where do you put that anger? Yeah. You know, it's like one of those things where there were a lot of things going on I am not free from blame, obviously. Um, they are not free from blame, um, but we're better and older, and um, Vicky's still the most talented one in the group. <laughs> she is. You, do you still talk to them? I saw Vicky in Little Shop of Horrors um, this summer as the plant. She was the best thing in the world. Um, yeah, we talk, but um, literally, I have 41 cities, 28. 28 cities in 41 days in the next couple months, in the next like two months before March 27th. And now it's like February something. So like, there's not much time to talk. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, when you, when you see each other, it's just like, ah, yeah, you know, you're but it's like, it's like a family vibe, you know, like I don't always talk to my mom or I always talk to my dad, but it's like, you know, when you have that yeah. chance, you do. Exactly. You get into your spics. And, and that was DWV. I, I said some pretty catty, but funny things after too, like, um, Nobody wants the band without me because without me, it's just VD. <laughs> like, it's just like shitty stuff, but like funny and like, yeah. So this ends, you AAA, so American Apparel. Do they come to you? Do you go to them? How does the group end up starting? Was it just an ad campaign at first? <clears throat> AAA, the American Apparel ad girls started because uh, American Apparel wanted to work with DWV. And we went in and took a bunch of free stuff from them and we're working with them. And then Vicky was rightly moted because uh, they didn't have anything in her size other than the scarves. So, and then some loose, like baggy harem pants stuff. And she's like, I can't work, I don't like it. I was like, yeah, I got a girl. So then when I was in my next girl group, I remember my little contact and they wanted to do a t-shirt campaign. <clears throat> and me and Courtney had done a show with the guy who was um, in charge of the AA stuff at um, American Apparel. And they're like, okay, we're gonna be doing this. And they're like, we wanna bring on one more girl. We were thinking of Alaska. And me and Courtney were on like the FaceTime call with them and we look at each other. And I was like, mm. and she was like, yeah. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, it's easier with two. We already figured out what poses we wanna do, <laughs> all that. And he's like, okay. And then the next day he's like, don't hate me. I added Alaska. And we're like, Oh, that's fine. We like Alaska. It's cool. Um, and Alaska knows all this now. So um, we did the little photo shoot. And then 
my best friend and right hand, Anthony, DJ Pasabadi, put on this song by, I forget who it was, something Gorgon, American Parallel Girls, Andre 3000 was featured on it. And I was like, we should parody this song. And they're like, okay, let's, you know, let's try it. And we did it. And then I produced the video and the video looks slick as fuck. And then we did a Christmas song. We were really hesitant to like calling it a thing yeah. or a group. So we were just kind of like, you know, doing little pop-ups here and there. And then, um, yeah, we did a 15 city tour and hopefully people will see what is the fruit of that this yeah. year because it's a TV show we're trying to sell. Oh, that's awesome. So still together? I mean, we're all apart, but all like, apart. you know, we all have gigs. Yeah. So it's just a little We bit. did an album. That album took like a year to get together because we're never in the same spot. Courtney's favorite hobby is doing reality shows on other continents. <laughs> um, now she's doing Dancing with the Stars Australia. I was like, Bali, Australia didn't showing. want you. That's why you went to America. And we didn't want you, so that's why you went to England. Now you're going back to Australia? She took a long way around to get famous in a country that's about as big as Minnesota. <laughs> so, you end up writing a book. I did. And it's called Suck Less. where there's a will and there's a way. How was that? How, how did you, like, I think that a really cool thing about, you know, I think that why you are so, so successful as a drag queen is that you use all of your creative outlets in whatever way possible. You record your own music, you write your own shit, you can do comedy, and then you now have a book. It's like, how did that come to be? How does that make you feel to see when people buy your book, read your book? Like, I found out how many I've sold this week. The first printing was 15,000. Then they rushed 10 more once they saw the pre-sale. Then after that, there were five more around Christmas that year, two months after it came out, 5,000 more. So that totals it up to like 30,000. I've sold 41,000 copies of that book. It's pretty fucking bomb. Yeah, it's nice to, you know, to have every little kind of media. You're like yeah. songs, books, whatever. Exactly. I have like a Library of Congress number. Like That's not many so people cool. can say that. Yeah. No. It's, the book came about because I would just answer Tumblr questions and people were asking advice and then an editor found me and she liked it, brought me into one agency, one publishing house where she worked. They said no. She went to another publishing house, brought me in there. I sold it in the room and then I wrote it all as like voice notes in my phone basically and cocktail napkins and airport lounges and then I holed up at my now manager's house in Fire Island and wrote for like a week. And then I took a bunch of pictures. Matthew Anderson did the cover. And then um, it became a book. And then, yeah. So awesome. It's, it's uh, it, yeah, I love my book. Some like my little baby. And then your book ended up becoming a show. My book ended up becoming a show. You're right, yeah. And how that must have been pretty insane too. That was cool until I said something transphobic apparently. Um, but you recovered from that. I think that that's something, in yeah. my opinion, you took what you didn't know and you learned from it and then you spoke about it. Yeah, the the issue was I was on the phone with a caller and they repeatedly misgendered the person that was they were dating. And that person had concealed certain aspects of their birth gender markings, maybe. I don't know if that's the right word. And the person on the phone was feeling irked about it. And I wasn't sure exactly what was going on, but in my head... My grandma didn't have boobs because she had cancer twice. And I remember asking about it because we were in Florida in swimsuit season all the time. Mm -hmm. And my mom said, um, boobs don't make the woman, you know, you could be a woman without boobs. And in my head, I said something about like, just because you cut your tits off doesn't make you a man or something. Because I'd also just, I don't know her, but I worked with her in a club twice. This lesbian who got 
a, um, she had the BRCA gene thing. That might not be the right words, but um, BC, it's a gene that makes you, it's indi indicative of being highly prone to breast cancer. Angelina okay. Jolie had it, a lot of people have it. Um, she had a double mastectomy and she wasn't rebuilding because she's like, it's better now. She's a heavy set girl, her tits were huge, gave her back problems. So in my head, like I was thinking of those things and I was like, was this person a lesbian? What's their deal? I don't know. This person on the phone, like how can you be dating someone for a month and not know? And then I brought up Brandon Tino, which was a very bad idea because he's like a trans like martyr and saint, you know, for sure. And just because he did some stuff that um, is on his arrest record and um, is, you know, dings on his permanent record, not that he has one anymore, that doesn't mean like it's okay or in good taste to talk ill about the dead, mm -hmm. I guess. And um, so I took my punches and I tried to learn from it and I know more now than I did when I said those comments. So I think it's all in all, good thing, you know? Yeah, I think, I think it's smart. I think you took it and you took it as a learning opportunity and you did the best of it. So the manager that I was with when that happened, he's like, you have to make an apology video, X, Y, Z. I was doing it anyway because we were on the tour for AAA Girls when it all came out. But um, that same manager told another girl who'd said a bunch of inflammatory stuff. A promoter was saying, hey, we're getting protests from um, XYZ about the things that this person has said and done. That manager then told her, oh, it'll blow over. Don't worry. And now that drag queen can't work basically in a couple major markets on the West Coast because she gets protests every time. So promoters can't book her. So I feel like addressing something when you've done something wrong and owning up to it is the first step. Correct. You know, just pushing it under the rug, that's fine, it'll cover it, but you, when you step on the rug, it's gonna get out. Yeah. You know, it's always gonna be under that rug, girl. So it's exactly. just better to clear it up then. Or you end up in a Kevin Hart situation. Short? Mm, yeah, short, short, just like that. Yeah. So something phenomenal that's happened this year with you has been your role in A Star Is Born. So uh, walk me through that process. What was that like? Did you audition for that? I know that you put up a picture of you in like in a Babs nose at one point. Mm -hmm. Like what was that like and when did that even start? Um, I'd say January 2000, what year is it? 2017, I knew about there being drag queens in a movie or something with, you know, Star Wars Born happening. And then cut to me going in for the movie as like a dead Marilyn Monroe. It was literally jump off a plane on Friday, uh, get in drag immediately. I did like a dead Marilyn Monroe look, which was pretty good. And then before I got back to the car, they called me, my manager, and said, uh, I've said my manager so many times, it's not like such a douchebag. <laughs> um, called me and said that they liked me. And then that Monday, the next Monday, the role was re-released with different physical uh, parameters, which, you know, when they say open to all ethnicities now, like mm -hmm. it's not Marilyn Monroe, not just white bitches. So I knew I wasn't gonna get it at that point. I was like, oh, well, I tried my best, did my hardest, did good in the room, that was my job, you know? I get another call, hey, they wanna see you for Barbara. And I'm like, I'm not Barbara, but I'll go in, I'll do my best, fake nose, all that. I knew they weren't gonna cast some drag queen with a fake nose in a movie remake of a Barbara movie. Mm -hmm. Because it would be disrespectful, I thought. So I was like, let me go in, do my best job, and you know, Whatever, maybe they'll remember me for something else. A week later, they call and they say, we have a role for you. And I was like, great, can I see a script? Absolutely not. Um, the name is Emerald. I'm like, cool, all right. I get the script and then it's, a, it's a, a scene or two. And then I go to my friend's wedding in England. 
uh, Tom Daly and Lance Black. And we're at the rehearsal dinner on a Friday night at this big castle. And I see my friend Bruce, who's a producer. Um, and he's like, what are you doing? What's up? And I tell him, I'm like, I just got in a movie with Gaga and Bradley Cooper. And he says, oh, I did several linings for Bradley. Tell him I said hi. And I was like, okay, cool. Next morning, I wake up to a text that says, terrible, terrible news. The scenes have all been cut. And I was like, what did I do so wrong in my life that God gave me a movie with Lady Gaga and then took it away? I was like, this is DWV. I know it is. I need to make amends for everything I did. I didn't even know what I did, mostly. But I was like, what am I doing wrong in my life? I considered moving at that point and leaving LA. And the first person I see when I walk down the stairs to the wedding um, was Bruce Cohen. And I was like, tell your friend to put me back in his movie. He probably didn't. But um, a week or two later, they checked my veil again. And they're like, we want to see. And I was like, sure, I'm around. But like, you know, they already cut me once. So... I, I went and I filmed stuff and then I didn't tell many people because so many things can end up on yeah. the cutting room floor. And I was just like, you know, if I'm in it, I'm in it, great. It was a great experience. After the first day, they added another scene for me, which was the one with the guitar. Um, so I was happy for the experience, walking away from it. And then for it to come out and to be actually what it was, you know, you, you can't expect that and you, there's no way to, there's no way to thank enough people for that opportunity. How many times have you seen it? It's in the double digits. Yeah. I saw it in theaters at least nine times. I saw it in Manchester with a bunch of people I was on tour with. I saw it in LA one, two, three times. I saw it in Toronto. I saw it in, um... <laughs> I saw it a lot, but I loved it. It's yeah. such a great movie, yeah, and the music, it's such a great movie. bitch, hair, body, face. That's the best song. Oh. Are you gonna, you gonna lip sync to that sometime? I think you should. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a very good lip syncer. Oh no, you just sing live. Yeah, but yeah that, that's one thing that you do. I'm a live mover. A live mover. Live mover and vocalist. What's been the biggest <laughs> feedback or the biggest? thing that has come from seeing yourself on the screen and the reaction what's been the biggest reaction that you've had like are you are you getting everything that you wanted or is it unexpected like what do you i'm not getting everything i wanted i should have hired a publicist and taken advantage of it i was stupid and poor um so i didn't i should have uh i'm trying to get an agent still i don't have one but for the rest of my life when people say oh you're an actor what have you been in it would have been nice to be able to say Broadway at some point, but now I have like a credit where it's like, A Star is Born. Oh yeah, I saw that, who were you? It, even straight people, you know, their wife dragged them or something, or you know, everybody, a lot of people will have seen this movie yeah. by the time I die. And I'm the one that gets their tits signed. Oh yeah, you were funny. Like, you know, just that. That's, so. I mean, that must feel great. That must feel like, I, like to see yourself on a fucking humongous ass screen and then have like multiple people laughing at you. Yeah, and you know, it's it's a, it's a great feeling, but now it's finally, I have the feeling to myself, like, what's next? Because I feel like I made it and I'm yeah. happy for the first time ever. I'm happy and I'm not feeling some sort of way like, oh, I should have been blah, blah, blah. Not like, and I should have been on All Stars or I wish I had this opportunity or I should have played the game right so I could have gotten some, you know, better play off of World of Wonder and Drag Race and all those little questions that make me go, what should I have done? Or X, Y, Z about that are now null and void because of A Star is Born. Because 
it just, you know, it closes up the struggle years mm -hmm. because now I have that credit and I did, I'm really funny in a great fucking movie Yeah. and I'm good now. So everything after this is gravy. If I never work again, I never work again, but I'm happy and now I feel okay to relax a little bit. Does that make sense? But not, yeah. not relaxed really because Literally, I'm still churning out content and work and new projects and all that. But now I kind of, I kind of feel like whatever comes after this comes. But yeah. I don't have to like claw and tooth, tooth and nail, scratch and claw. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you don't have to have something to be next. Like you don't, you're not like expecting like a bigger whatever thing to come. What? do you anticipate or what would you like if anything else were to happen what would you like to be next for you i want to do another book i want to be the new jeff lewis okay my career models are chris hardwick okay and martha stewart okay imagine mashing them up okay like i would love an lgbt nerdist of some sort i want to do a home line i want to take over flipping out on bravo I'm currently like redoing a house now that I'm gonna be on HGTV House Hunters for. So I'm the first drag queen on that. I want my own home show. I want my own home empire. I wanna renovate, knock down walls. I wanna, I like building. Yeah. It's the same thing going back to it as a kid drawing and buildings and dresses and like, I, I wanna create stuff. I like creating my own stuff. I don't like answering to people. I don't like people giving me deadlines. I wanna be, you know, fully realized my own person and my own company and um, take the people that I've worked with and loved with me on the way up. You know? So you want to completely knock down walls physically. You want to take the one aspect of you've had the movie, you've had the music, you've had the drag race, you have your shows, you want to get into more of the creative realm of actual architecture and stuff and actually Maybe, but I want to keep writing too. Yeah. And I want to do move. I want to write movies. I want to write TV. I want to write a lot of stuff. I have a lot of stuff going on in my head. And by writing, I mean voice noting and then transcribing. Because <laughs> midway through my book was when I found out about transcription software and then also control F mm -hmm. where you can find something. Because yes. when I would think of something and be like, oh, I have to add to this, I would scroll <laughs> through the whole thing. And then like midway through the control F thing blew my mind. I was like, does everybody know about this except me? It's because I did an HTML class in uh, 10th grade and I paid these Indian kids to do all my work for me. <laughs> so you never paid attention. No, I know how to type and that's about it. And then I started paying these kids. Ugh, I'm an idiot. So bringing all this full circle, what would you say is the one piece of advice that you've been given that has kept you sane, stable, and going with your career and making the best of what you can with what you have? Get the money first. Yeah, honestly, because if someone offers you a job and oh, it's for exposure X, Y, Z, don't do it. If you don't want to do it, you have to want it. My rules for getting in drag used to be money, press, charity, or Dick. But Dick was usually I could get if I was in drag for one of these things. I never really got in drag just for Dick. seems like a lot of work. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you do a job and you don't want to be there and you feel some sort of way, it'll show. So I always say get money, but also, those people that are like, never give up, X, Y, Z. Some people should. <laughs> because not everybody's going to make it. No. It's really hard out there. It's really hard. And if you're not like 
ready for a lot of fucking no, like buckets of no a day, mm -hmm. don't do it. You gotta have a, a fucking iron gut to do this shit. It's a lot of no's. It's a lot of, no, they're, they're, they're not right. Well, why? They're just not right. They're a little light for this. No, they're overexposed. You know what my favorite thing was? There was a breakdown that said a Willem Belli type in it. And then I was like, oh my God. And then I couldn't get in for it. They're like, no, the director thinks you're overexposed. You know what the funny thing was? They, they didn't even know my name. My agent called into the office that released that breakdown and said, I have a drag client. And then they're like, uh, tell us it's not William. It's like, I'm overexposed yet. You don't even know my, my name. name. Oh. It's, I, I'd say give up. It's easier. <laughs> so last but not least, um, what can the public expect from you next? Do you have anything in the works that you want to say? You want to tease? You want to do? Well, Star is Born is available digitally and on DVD and Blu-ray if they still make them. Um, catch me on HGTV for House Hunters, uh, Race Chaser, which is my new podcast with Alaska, uh, where we go over every episode of RuPaul's Drag Race one by one. Since reality shows don't like to pay for repeat airings, we're going to figure out a way to make money off of you one way or another. <laughs> um, so we did that. And, um, and you also bring other guests on like to actually yeah. talk about their episodes too, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's nice to give people a platform that otherwise they wouldn't really have, you know, like doing an interview with like Hornet or whatever. That's mm -hmm. great. But like talking to two of your sisters from the show exactly. who've been through it, who've been through the other side. For some people, that show is heaven. For other people, it was their nom, mm -hmm. you know? So it's nice to have that perspective of Alaska and I, the voice of reason and the voice of treason. Um, and then my YouTube channel, which has two new videos a week, which are fairly entertaining, I guess. They are. They're great. Ish. I love them. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and then I don't know what else. Turn on TNT and watch Criminal Minds. I'll pop up on that. <laughs> Literally, I opened up four residual checks the other day. One was Criminal Minds. One was CSI. The other was CSI Las Vegas. No, CSI New York. And then the third one was like The Shield. And I'm like, fuck. I've been on a lot of cop shows. You've been on a lot of cop shows. Yeah. Just hooking on the streets. But that also says something like a lot of shows are actual. It just goes to show how many shows are medical or law enforcement or like mm -hmm. based, you know? Those yeah. So many. The Law and Order Empire, all the cop shows. I mean, ER and Chicago Hope came out the same year, you know? I don't know. Never mind. People always have a little bit of trouble. Yeah. That's what it is. People love like, oh. Mm -hmm. That's bad. Yeah, that's bad. Ooh, fire. Ooh, fire. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank oh, you so much. in your own abode. Thank you for all of this. Um, but like Willem said, check Willem out. The Beatdown, uh, the Race Chaser podcast, all of that great stuff. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Joseph Shepard. I'm Willem. Bye. Bye. Subscribe if you're here or there or wherever you are. What was that? Never mind. Is that a meal? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Expose yourself. Ooh. Show them what you're all about. Curate.